0: Let's get it going on a Tuesday here on The People's Show. It's Vic Nazar, Dominic Shramatti running the show, Evan Smith behind the glass as well, and you as well. Always chiming in to our Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Broadcasting live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear, and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech. Dot net. Again, you can text in 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. A Canucks game day. It's the Hughes matchup, the Hughes Bowl versus the New Jersey Devils. Do we treat this like uh, the the bowl in uh, Game of Thrones? What was that one? The, uh, the Clegane Bowl? No, it's more the Flint Tropics Bowl, the Mega Bowl. Okay, to end the season. What was that one called? I'm I, I, I'm forgetting. I think it was characters. called the Mega Bowl. No, but I'm I'm forgetting characters in Game of Thrones. Uh, like what was the, the I'll hound, look it up. The Hound in the. Uh... I can't believe I'm blanking on this. This is a bad luck for a Game of Thrones. Fan. I'm on to Game of uh, Game of Dragons, House of Dragon now. Yeah, did you like it? Yeah, I mean, it not did. that we're going to. Uh, no, do this anything. isn't. You know, Adnan's on Thursday. Yeah. Well, what about that sort of stuff there? I think it was called the Game Bowl. Alright. Anyways, uh, it's the Hughes Bowl here today. 650-650. Uh, yes, the Hound in the Mountain. Thank you very yes. much for the people that are texting in. But I, I think that was called the Game Bowl. It was. Yeah, All going. on word. I'm all I, I'm all over it. But thank you for the text uh, coming in. Uh, Alright. we we'll, uh got so much on Tuesdays as we do every week. we got Yannick Hansen coming up as he does every Tuesday right off the top of the show. Mark Schofield as well coming up later this hour taking a look at week 8 and just uh, some quarterbacks that are a thriving. I'll try not to ask uh, Mark about Geno Smith, but I got a feeling I'm going to ask Mark about Geno Smith. It's just what happens. Geno's so good. guys. He's so good. Dom's eye-rolling behind there. He is so good. We'll get to that later on uh, in the show. Plus, it's Tuesday. Guess the lines as well. But let's uh, talk to Yannick Hansen now, as we do every Tuesday here on the People Show right off the top of the show. Long-time nhl former Vancouver Kanaka. Yannick, how are you? I'm good, good. Can't complain of yourself. Uh much better than uh, last week. Uh, we didn't have any wins to talk about. And now, uh we have two. So they they're they're trending better finally, Yannick. Uh so it it's 2-5 and 2 now on the year. Uh do you look at anything that's changed or, or 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 what did you notice in those two wins?
1: Well, you got the wins. Um you got a little bit of a I wouldn't call it puck luck, but but you won some of the you won the special team battles. Um you had some guys stepping up. Um obviously um uh, Spencer coming in, uh, making making some big stops against Pittsburgh as well, especially early, helped them in that game. Um, so there, there was some uh, some things that were different from the first uh, couple of games where they always seemed to end up on the wrong side of the coin, where when it was flipped in the last two, they ended up on the right side. So they needed it, uh, some fresh uh, fresh air in the dressing room, if you will. Then they had all these days off, and it's it's a lot easier to go into four days in between games having won two instead of being being buried completely in a hole so uh, it's kind of a, a reset button if you will um, and, and now they're going to get some games here a little more quicker in succession it seems like they're getting healthy um, so again it will tell uh, which team we're going to be seeing going forward here they still have a somewhat easy schedule before it looks like it's going to get very very hard here five games down the road so, so they need to start scraping out some more wins.
0: Uh, On Thursday, there was a bunch of fights uh, against Seattle. Now, it it comes out later on the weekend that the executives talked to the team and even mentioned, hey, players could go on waivers. If there's changes coming, it's going to happen to the roster, not to the coaching staff. Uh, Have you been in that situation where executives, not the coaching staff, but the executives of the team are addressing the team in the locker room? Uh, they Maybe not in a locker room in that sense, sure. but, but I have
1: had uh, individual meetings uh, where every te- every player is scheduled one after another and you just cross, you, cross each other in the hallway. and During the again, season, right? Not
0: like exit meetings. During the season, yeah. yes.
1: I've had them. I've had them with Gillis as well. Um, uh, and it was whether we lost uh, a couple of games, uh, too many that he didn't like, or, or wherever it might might be, we we had these meetings as well. And it is when things are not going according to plan um and again it's more than just a couple of losses it's when the ship needs to be changed uh so again it puts everybody on notice um and again the assessment that came out i agree 100 percent with uh, it, this group has had or is on their uh, on their second coach now that the third one will not be with the same group because um, again if you keep Keep making these same mistakes. Keep ending up putting the team in the same uh, same position against change. Will happen, and we can't just keep replacing the guy who's uh, who's pulling the strings. Uh, sooner or later, you are gonna you gonna come down
0: to who's on the ice as well. So we we see the response, and you know the point I was kind of making yesterday is like, hey, hey, look, they they fight, and clearly there's a, there's a response of like, okay, we have to be better, obviously, and and let's do it together. Um, but I I kind of look at this and I say like we've seen this already before like they changed the coach and the players look good for eight games 10 games and okay they go 57 games last year but then they kind of spoil it with the start of this year is is this something that like the motivation is going to wear off or is this kind of the moment where the players figure out hey this is what we have to be all the time now
1: well you that that's the dressing room that's got to police itself you can't keep having uh coach uh gm a president whoever it might be coming in to motivate your players. It doesn't work like that. You can't do it over 82 games. If we play like the NFL and we played 16 games, by all means, we can come in and motivate you for every single game. Right. You play once a week, but, but you play three, four times a week, back-to-back, back, three and four nights. It, that message is going to be so stale. You have to have a dressing room that police itself, that holds itself... Accountable guys know when it's time to go and do what they did against Seattle and not be told to do this. Um, it, it's it's the maturity in the room. It's about being in a dressing room that knows how to win, how to take care of itself, and the games that we're playing. So again, the the the, the team needs to mature and, and find the need for when is the time to push these buttons ourselves. So when we really need a kick in our ass we have somebody who can come in and do it from the outside, but we can't have this happening on multiple occasions, several times a year. It's got to be done and caught in the dressing room by
0: its leaders. Because like a week ago, we were talking about making big changes, and I think those were fair conversations, and I think they're fair conversations to still even have now, but now with two wins under the belt, and, and look, we, we look ahead, and do we play this out and say, okay, at least let's give them to game 20, game 25, uh, and, and then we can reinvent those conversations that we talked about just last week, what do you do now that things are starting to progress better in the results column?
1: nothing changes. You still need the players to perform. Uh, If we're looking to move somebody, we still want said person to be scoring, producing, playing well hockey. So so nothing changes in a day-to-day routine. You keep assessing, you keep uh, looking for, for options. Uh, again, the, the, the biggest question, or the only question you should be ask yourself is, is, this a team that can win the Stanley Cup? And if the answer is yes, well, go with it. If no, no, then, then we need to find out what we need to do in order to get to that point. And again, I know this is not a, a six-month fix or two-year down the road. This is probably longer, longer change that needs Uh, but but again that is the overall goal so again you need to look at yourself your organization the roster what needs to change what needs to happen that we get put in a position that now we compete with the uh, avalanche with with Vegas right now with with these teams that are we are considering okay this is the pinnacle in the in the West these are the teams we got to beat if we want to play in a Stanley Cup final um, and right now, if we look at the roster, obviously we we, we can't compete with it, with Colorado, and there's no shame in that. Mm-hmm. But but again, you you got to look at, at what needs to happen, what needs to done, where we need to improve, in order for us to get to that point. And it's not an overnight uh, thing that we can change. So, so it it is it is changes that needs to happen over time. But again, that is direction you want to go in. So also you you can't. You can't lie to yourself, and yeah, we we, we won a couple of games here, and things are well now. And let's just get back. We we, we got to keep that uh, that picture of the overall uh, goal in mind, and then go from there.
0: Now we did see some trades. Uh, a couple of players brought in uh, Jack Stunica and Ethan Bear, uh, who's going to be in the lineup tonight uh, on the right side of defense. So it's it's not big changes of guys leaving. There's a couple of uh, additions. Uh, you know, your first impression of what you think of you know trades at this time of the year, but also what you think someone like Ethan Bear can bring to the team.
1: Yeah, again, these are the type of players I don't have a whole lot of knowledge about. So um, again, how how these. Play out. It, it's kind of one of those where you put a bunch of fish in a barrel and you sure. hope to hit something. And, and if it plays out great, is, is this a player that that's going to push it over the edge and all of a sudden push in a whole other conversation? It, I highly doubt it. It's one of those where it's on a third team now and looking for fresh opportunities. Haven't quite panned out here, there. Um, so, so again, we've been talking about a right-handed defenseman. He's a right-handed defenseman. Hopefully, he can come in and provide something. Um, But again, time will tell, but but it's definitely not a a seismic shift in in the dressing room in any sense that that's going to create some sort of disturbance. It's more of uh, just going with the flow, adding a piece here and there. And again, hopefully it'll, it'll pan out. And if not, we didn't really give up too much.
0: Do you look at these, if you're a player in the in the room, and we've talked about, again, big changes, uh, how, how would you respond to, to these smaller moves, depth additions? Is this something that's a, a jolt, or is this something that's like, okay, this is part of the coming storm that might come eventually?
1: No, this is just like you come in there, nobody left the left the room. So right. there's no, it, it doesn't doesn't tinker with anything. There you're going to say, oh, there's a little bit more competition. And yeah, it looks like Burrell's coming out of the lineup. It's going to be a little bit harder for him to get back in these sort of things. But but like you're saying, in the overall scheme of things, it, it's fringe movement that doesn't really shift anything. The guys that are coming back healthy are, are diving right back into the lineup anyways. Uh, so so it doesn't really do anything. It doesn't put anybody on notice. It, it adds some depth. So if a couple of guys go down, you don't have to dig as deep in the farm in order to find replacement players. Um, so I'm all for depth and have these players ready to step in and not lose too much. Obviously, you lose Quinn Hughes, you can't replace that. Um, but you lose any of these Burroughs, Stillman, Pullman, uh, whoever we're, we're talking about, mm-hmm. Like we have a suitable replacement right now because that's the level of, of all the defensemen. Um, the, the problem is to... The ones that are in aren't good enough to push us over the hump. So so we're right back to square one in my opinion on that sense.
0: Well, do you think that the, the, this increased competition now is, is good? Because you mentioned someone like Kyle Burroughs, who I've really enjoyed watching this year, always, competitor, uh, always competitive, but he's coming out of the lineup, it looks like, and now we're going to have real competition to try to play these games. I, I, like I, Generally speaking, I would say it's a good thing, but the, with the way the team is right now in their current build, is this something that's a necessity, or is this something that's a luxury right now to provide that?
1: Well, they're, they're trying to, to fill a hole through getting lucky, I think. Because, okay. again, we've been talking about this right-handed defenseman to come in and help and mm-hmm. play on the, the right side with Quinn or with OEL or whoever it might be. Uh, and right now you you have Tyler Myers and you have Luke Shen, and that that's about it for right-handed uh uh, players so, so again you're, you're trying to find somebody who can play in that top four uh, for the foreseeable future and again Ethan Barry is, is a young player he's 25 I believe mm-hmm. he had success in his rookie year so it's not like he hasn't played in the league um, but again if that's the solution to this overall problem we've been having going back last year as well that then I don't think it's the solution um, and again I, I like what um, what Burroughs brings as well, because we don't have a whole lot of that in the lineup either um, and again it's kind of addition by subtraction kind of thing to me in the, in this sense, so um I don't think you'll you'll piss a, a, guy, a guy like Burroughs off he'll come out and then he'll work hard and practice and, and be ready the next day um. But again, he's, uh, he's maybe not, not the most deserving guys of coming out of the lineup the way he's been playing and what he provides and what he does for this team. But again, there's only, there's only six spots on, on, the, on the roster. So uh, somebody has to come out in order to give, uh, give a guy a chance.
0: Uh, the, the other person that might be coming out here uh, is Jack Rathbone, and it's really a question about the, some of the younger players as well. So Rathbone on Thursday against Seattle plays just under 14 minutes, and then he ends up playing 16 uh, on Friday. And Vasily Bacolzin playing 7.5 to 10 minutes yeah, right now. Uh, when you look at some of the young players, are are, are they just getting lost because a, a coach wants to trust the veteran players and through a losing streak here? Or is, are you seeing something in the younger players that they're quite not ready for more minutes or, or more responsibility?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't call, he played a whole year last year, so I don't think you can play that, that 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 button anymore, that role anymore with him Um Maybe it's just Bruce doesn't feel like he's produced enough, created enough uh in order to warrant uh, where he started this year i mean he was he, he was in a plump spot right out of the out of training camp playing with Petey, getting a ton of opportunities. We didn't really see the the contribution there um so so again, when you don't get the contribution then then you kind of get sifted down through the lineup you continue not contributing and then your minutes will will disappear um he doesn't kill penalties he doesn't doesn't play on the power play so so he is really um relying on that five on five minutes Uh, and again if there is a lot of penalties you get lost in the shuffle um if you're trying to push for for goals now, which they have been doing as well, um, these guys don't get as much ice time either. So so he's kinda he's getting lost in a little bit of, in the shovel in the shuffle because he hasn't been contributing maybe as much as, as Bruce would like him to.
0: Uh someone that is contributing right now, uh he's got four points in his last two games, uh two goals and two assists. It's Ilya Mikhaeve. Uh he scores two against Seattle and then provides two uh against uh the Penguins. Uh, it feels like the, the injury, the preseason, maybe he's finally over that and kind of caught up to the minutes of the, the season and the early going. Uh, you know, to just where you are with his game, because it does feel like he brings something uh, from, from a speed profile that Vancouver has not had, and, and it just feels like he's a, a rare player to find because of the way he can skate.
1: Yeah, he he does provide a lot, and he's kind of the player who can fit in a lot of different places, um, whether you want him in your bottom six, top six, middle six. Uh, he, he seemed to be able to find a way to play there. He's been on a power play as well. Um, I don't think he was playing on a power play in Toronto, but, but again, it gives him more opportunities. Um, they're paying him handsomely, um, so it can't just be enough for him to check anymore. He has to provide scoring. Uh, he has to provide that side of the game as well um so it, it's always good to see these guys that come in uh big additions in the off-season, that that they come in and have some success because if they don't um it, it can kind of wear on them and all of a sudden you start thinking oh did we make a mistake on this guy uh, and these things are playing over in his head as well uh so, so it's good to see him contributing finding a role um it seems uh, him and him and kismenko and pd has found a pretty good niche there i know they were together in camp as well um, in, in the beginning so they got some familiarities with each other um, but again it's hopefully something that can that can continue. Again we're shifting into Petey here right now it would be nice to find a, a running mate or two for him uh, so he doesn't have to worry about who's his winger on, on any given night where it, it does seem a lot like he gets uh, uh, quite a bit of a rotation in order to get other guys going.
0: Is that the best combination, uh, Mikheyev and Patterson? Because it feels like the, I, it, was, it was the the combo I was maybe most excited about because I think there's so much strong defensive awareness. And then, you know, Patterson's so good at anticipating plays and uh, Mikheyev pressures guys so well. It just feels like they can play off each other really well in both the offensive zone for checking and then just in the defensive zone as well.
1: I, I think no matter who you really put with P.D., you, you're going to find a good fit. He's so talented and he can drive. Procession and he takes so much, so much attention off of everybody else that that whoever you put with him will will look good and that's obviously why he's a good player. Again, McAvoy can can contribute in ways that other players hurt can't do right now. He has the same tenacity, same forechecking, but but he, he's very 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 good responsibly defensively as well. So he can maybe cover some of those shortcomings that PD does have. Um, so so it is nice to find somebody hopefully who can can correct some of the flaws that PD does have in his game, and again, um, make them that much better together.
0: Uh, we also saw, uh, uh, talking to Yannick Hansen here, long-time NHLer, uh, we also saw... Um, JT Miller go back to the wing. Now, you and I have had this conversation about Miller. Is he a center? Is he a winger? And I've basically just said, like, he can play center, but I think he's better as a winger. Now we see him play next to Horvat, who, you know, Miller on Horvat's wing would be one of the best wingers, uh, Horvat has had. What do you like about this pairing so far in a very short time that we've seen it together? But it, the, I think the big thing, it just feels like JT Miller skating again.
1: Yeah, they won two games. So that's probably the best <laughs> thing we've seen out of that. Um, again, um, it's uh, it's one of the, the things where who who's your who's your your centers now after p d and yeah. and Bo. um I, I get it j t can still take face offs but if he's only on the ice with bow bow doesn't need help on the face off circle and, and j t was was reasonably good at this last year as well um so now all of a sudden we're looking at potentially three sentiments that aren't above fifty percent in the circle and that's a little scary to me um again it it provides you with a different kind of depth when your centers are out there again i also been advertising against this because i don't want those three sharing the minutes um but but that's a different story again they've had some success now Uh, we haven't seen the same glaring mistake from from jt as we saw early on not that they were necessarily because he was playing center versus wing um but again they've had some success now as a team um so so run with them and see what happens
0: this is kind of what we saw last year, too, where they just loaded up the top six and they said, hey, we'll survive whatever happens in the bottom six. Now, they found something last year with Lamico, Mott, and Highmore, and it, it was able to survive, but it feels like they're going back to that. Is is this just Bruce kind of saying, when we're, when our back's are against the wall, this is what we have to do, and we, we hadn't had, had any wins, and so let's just load up the top six and try to outscore our problems?
1: Yeah, that's what they've been doing all year. They've been trying to outscore, and they have scored enough goals to to pretty much win every game, maybe except the Buffalo game. Uh, so, so it's not like they haven't scored uh, enough. Um, their problem have been defensive side of the of the puck, if you will. Um, there, there, there's no question. I think it was a couple of years ago when um, it was a P.D. A Brock and who was the last winger there when they were scoring a, a ton of goals. Miller too. Um, was it Miller on yeah. that winger um, when you had a, a really good top five and then the sixth person was the one we were talking about okay who's gonna complement the top six here where now it, it, I feel like it's a really really strong top nine. Um, you maybe even have a tenth player you can add into the mix there in the in the uh, what do you say second third line spot. Um so again you, you do have the the option to load up a line now if you will because you do have enough quality forwards um to fill in these spots, whether it's Tanner Pearson further down the lineup or, or wherever it might be. Um again you're probably not gonna get as much out of him at that point. But but again you have enough quality forwards that you can really load up a line if you want to.
0: I uh, I asked you last week, we'll let you go on this one, just you know, when they were 0, five and two, like what do you want to see now moving forward? And your thing was okay, effort. Uh, through those two games, uh, did you see enough, and how long do you think it can last?
1: Hopefully, it'll continue. I mean, winning does a lot of good things for a dressing room, um, but it it, it is just, it is the same thing. Uh, often, term often what's determined these games is will the desire to win. Um, if you aren't good enough to just go out and win on your systems and skill, well, well then you got to bring desire, effort. Uh, and determination to, to beat the other team into submission, if you will. And there's only one way to do that, Ness, through hard work. Um, I, I think we've seen enough. these guys aren't uh, good enough to just win on skill assistance. So so we need to continue to see the effort. Um, uh, finishing your checks, um, making the right plays, not cheating the game. Um, so if they continue to do that, they can still find success. They have enough skill, they have enough uh, players who can put the puck in the net. Um, so we, they do that, and, and they can be fine. It's if they start to, to revert back to uh, um, taking chances, um, not getting pucks out, turning pucks over, um, then very quickly it can it can turn sour again.
0: Uh, actually, before we let you go, it's uh, Kevin B X tonight on Thursday. Uh, any stories you want to share with us uh, before no, Thursday? No,
1: I don't <laughs> think we can share any stories uh, online with for on the radio with him uh, they're all pt or what do you say yeah uh, so no it's it's great um again he uh, he meant a lot to this organization he did a lot he obviously scored the biggest goal in a long long time um very well liked um obviously the fans but interesting as well um he's one of the type of players that you love having on your team um because he could provide that x factor um going out there to stir a pot, uh, start a fight out of nowhere just to, to get the the bench right up and say, Hey, we're, we're in a fight tonight, wake up or uh, you're going to get hurt. Um, So it was great playing with him uh, and it's good to see him be rewarded.
0: Uh, Yannick, appreciate it as always. We'll talk next Tuesday. Sounds good. It's a guy Yannick Hansen joins us every Tuesday here on the people show right off the top of the show at three o'clock. Fantastic analysis as always from Yannick Hansen. Uh, Insider brought to you by Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve. You back on the other side, we'll talk to Mark Schofield. Also, guess the lines coming up as well. Uh, Before we go, though, catch a pre sale opportunity for the Kubota CHL NHL top prospects game at the LEC on January 25th. This pack includes tickets to the White Spot Legends Night. that's on November 18th versus the Kamloops Blazers, November 30th versus the Moose Jaw Warriors that includes top prospect Braden Yeager, as well as the Vancouver Giants top prospect Samuel Honzik, as well as is the top prospects game that's not on sale yet to the general public. Visit VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. More on the way here on The People Show, looking at Week 8 in the NFL with Mark Schofield here on the Home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the People Show. Bick Nizar, Dominic Shramati, running the show. A lot of fun today. I like the like the groove we got going here. Uh, it's a Tuesday. It uh, means uh, we talk to Yannick Hansen, which we've done already at the top of the show, which we do every Tuesday. You can always find it on the podcast. Longtime NHLer former Vancouver Canuck as always your favorite the honey badger every Tuesday here on the people show also we talked to Mark Schofield and, and Mark every Sunday I'm sitting there watching these quarterbacks and I tell myself okay Tuesday I'm gonna ask about Mark about this guy I'm gonna ask Mark about this guy and I don't want to ask about Geno Smith because we've done it so many times then every time Geno just looks better and better and better and we talked about so many things that aren't just like arm strength for the quarterback it's it's footwork it's ball placement it's all these things timing the play up to the receivers everything that that the intricacies of the position and it feels like Gino is just doing all of those things
2: yeah and uh, you know what Vic I do think it's time to sort of jump in with both feet when we when it comes to Geno Smith and what we're seeing from him right now because you know when I watched him last summer and you started to think about okay what are the Seahawks doing it was the pocket movement the poise the willingness to sort of fight in the pocket as opposed to you know flight from the pocket and that sort of fight or flight response and I think that's where he's really sort of emerged this year as the quarterback that is so confident within the confines of the pocket and so adept at creating space for his feet those are the types of things that matter so much those are the types of things that you and I talk about every week when we dive into quarterback play around the league and when you look at plays like the third down conversion at the end of the first quarter it's a third and 14 team situation, and he's got just a little bit of pressure off the right side, he's able to use his feet just to create space to find D.K. Metcalf on the left side of the field. Those are the kinds of plays that they may not look like much in the moment, but when you sort of take a step back and see what a quarterback is doing and see how comfortable he is and see how, you know, if blocking breaks down, he's able to sort of create with his feet to create just enough space to make a play, those are the types of moments that matter. When you see throws from later in the game where, you know, he pumps on the throw to lock it, but then climbs, and he's still got pressure off the left edge anyway, but he hangs in there and makes that throw. It's those little things that add up so much, and there's so much obviously that we talk about each week that goes into play in the quarterback position, but where he's really stood out to me is in that realm of pocket poise and footwork and creating space that I saw when I was studying last summer from the three games he started this year, and yes, things like accuracy, arm strength and all that, those also matter and matter a ton, but Smith's Footwork, his ability to create space in the pocket, and his poise in the face of pressure have been huge this year.
0: It it just feels like this will eventually get pushed to a conversation of, well, what do they do with Geno Smith? Obviously, look, they're they're having success. They don't trade him at the deadline. You never entertain that idea. But this is going to get to a stage in the offseason of, do they draft a quarterback, or do they commit to him for two, three years and allow themselves to grow into this? And the reason I want to like keep talking to Gino is like this is not turning into a thing of, oh, he's succeeding because the Shane Waldrum system coming from McVay, and we saw Jared Goff have success in it. He's doing all the intricate details that we think quarterbacks are supposed to be doing, and that's why I kind of look at this and I say, yeah, this is kind of real.
2: I think it is true, Vic, and I think we're at the point right now, and I actually wrote about this last week, where – The Seahawks are ahead of schedule. And, you know, I was guilty of it. Other people were guilty of it, right? We wrote this summer, whether it's Smith or Locke, you know, there's a rebuild in Seattle. They're going to have to go in on a quarterback. But they told us, you know, whether it was Diggs, whether it was Lockett, whether it was Pete Carroll himself, they were all saying, no, no, no. This isn't a rebuild. We trust in our room. We trust in everybody that we have here. We're going to be competitive. We're going to compete. And as a result, you look at – Where they sit today, now a lot can change, but where they sit right now, they have the 10th pick in the draft. That's Denver's pick. Then they have their own at 22. Then they have a pick at 41, a pick at 56. That pick at 41, Denver's pick from the Russell Wilson trade, and then a pick at 87. That's five picks in the first three rounds. That is a lot of draft capital. like Now you don't have to use it on a quarterback if you don't want to. If you don't like whoever's sitting there at 10, Geno Smith has shown you that you can go in with perhaps a short-term two-year, two two with an option for a third year, kind of deal with him because of what he's shown you this year where you're in a position where, you know, best player available, right? That magical phrase we hear all the time. But if there's a position you feel that you need to address, you know, maybe you're just a player that you cannot pass on. Will Anderson Jr. is somehow staring you in the face when you have that first pick. But right now it looks like it's going to be the Broncos' pick. You can draft them you can draft that player and build around the core that you have in place right now, a one with Geno Smith. Now maybe what we're seeing from Smith sort of crumbles and fades away. So maybe you feel like, oh, if there's a quarterback at 22 or that first pick when you're on the clock in the second round, you want to take a quarterback to give yourself that head. Sure. But you don't have to, you don't have to force that quarterback with the way Smith is playing right now. It might give you an opportunity to perhaps, been one of those two first rounders for a future first round to give you that future hedge right. on a Geno Smith, you know, sort of regression. And so the fact that they're playing this well, the fact that he's playing that well, it has given Seattle so many options to really turn this around quickly.
0: Uh, looking elsewhere, Dallas Cowboys uh, dropped 49 on Chicago. Now it is the Bears, uh, but still, it looks like the marriage between uh, the, the Mike McCarthy offense or Kellen Moore offense and Finally, showcasing all of Dak Prescott's abilities is finally getting to a point where we're going to see the best version of Dak Prescott.
2: It does seem that way. And you look at what Prescott did against the Bears. And like you said, you know, it's a Bears team that looks to be in the midst of their own sort of turnaround, right? But 21 to 27 for, you know, 250 yards, two touchdowns, did have the interception, but. When you see how he was playing, when you see how he was executing that offense, Kellen Moore, I think, did a fantastic job this week of sort of dialing some things up in the passing game for him. You saw a lot of throws made with anticipation, which is something I always look for, you know, at a quarterback, particularly one coming back from injury. You know, you look at the way this offense seemed to flow again. You look at the way they get getting Tony Ballard involved. I mean, Troy Pollard involved. Excuse me. I think that was huge. I love the design on the touchdown to CeeDee Lamb where you've got him in the backfield and he runs that sort of wheel route. But you've got Gallup to that side of the field as well. It was a brilliant design from Kellen Moore. This offense was clicking on Sunday. I think it's going to continue to click. I don't think this is a one-and-done situation because they were playing the Bears. I think Kellen Moore has found ways to get guys like CeeDee Lamb involved in different ways. I think Dak Prescott is now fully healthy. And this was – remember, we talked about this, right – Cooper Rush was not going to be a threat to Dak Prescott as a starting quarterback, but the fact that he played well for that stretch of time, it gave Dallas the opportunity to let Dak heal completely. So we didn't have a situation like we saw in Seattle last year, right? When Russell Wilson came back and he wasn't quite right because he sort of rushed himself back, they let Dak heal completely you know, a little up and down in his first game, but looks like he's mm-hmm. 100% now. So that was huge for Dallas, and it's going to be huge for Dallas going forward.
0: Well, it just felt like they they had to engineer an offense around Cooper Rush, and, and, and look, you tell me if this is wrong, but it's it's how do we do everything to maximize Cooper Rush, and then Dak comes back and they just said, well, why, why don't we just do all that sort of stuff for our good quarterback?
2: Yeah, no, I, I think that was part of it, and... and you're supposed to do that as a coach, right? Right. Like, just because, and we've seen this with other teams, right? We've seen this with Aaron Rodgers and the Mike McCarthy years. And it's you know funny that this is all sort of coming full circle. But you know the running and joke and meme when McCarthy was in Green Bay was they're just going to fix everything with slant flat. Like we're just going to run mirrored slant flat, and if it's not open, Aaron's going to figure it out. But then you see what happens when he gets you know a new vision for the offense with Coach Lafleur, and suddenly two-time MVP. Because you're doing things differently. You're helping your quarterback. Just because I know there's this line of thinking that, hey, if you're going to pay the guy big money, he should be able to solve all your problems. Well, pay him the big money and help him out. Do something schematically for him. You know, and you saw, you know, like you said, with Cooper Rush, they figured out some things that they had to do I sort of hope Cooper Rush. Keep doing that. If it worked for Cooper Rush, imagine how great it's going to be in Dak Prescott's hand. So this idea that because you pay the quarterback a big money deal, that you have to sort of let him figure it out. I I go in the absolute opposite direction. You should always be looking to maximize your quarterback and what he can do and doing everything you can schematically to help him out, whether it's Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott.
0: So there's the schematic version of helping a guy out, and then there's their the just put talent around a guy. We see in San Francisco, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, I think four incompletions and 235 yards, and they surround him with Christian McCaffrey. All of a sudden, now Debo Debo was away last game, but you know McCaffrey can win in areas of the field that I would say traditionally Jimmy Garoppolo has struggled in. I'm talking like in breaking routes from. Uh, you know, we we would talk from depth, but now here's McCaffrey operating in this space. What can McCaffrey do that will open things up for for Garoppolo?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's the versatility. I think it's the matchup effectiveness. I think it's the fact that you know, especially when you get Debo back, you know, that's going to be create creates a lot of you know mismatch opportunities for this 49ers passing game because you know if you decide to put you know Christian McCaffrey in the slot and Samuel in the backfield, like imagine that sort of. From a formation perspective And you're a defensive coordinator You're like, so what do we do When you've got Debo Samuel lined up You know, standing next to Garoppolo Who's in the shotgun And Christian McCaffrey in the slot Are you taking a corner And putting the corner in the box And taking a linebacker And walking him out to the slot Or are you going to keep that linebacker In the slot? Because what it does Is it gives you that sort of pre-snap look If you're Garoppolo And you see a linebacker matched up In the slot against Christian McCaffrey You know exactly where you're going With the ball, right? Or, theoretically, if you see a cornerback down in the box, you've run Debo Samuel in between the tackles before. You might run against that. Or say, look, we have to treat both of these guys as, you know, running backs. And you've got linebackers, linebackers. You've got that matchup against McCaffrey in the slot, a matchup he's going to win. And so it gives Kyle Shanahan so many different opportunities to create and then exploit mismatches. And as a result, it will give Garoppolo better throwing lanes. Because, like you mentioned, those in-breaking routes, whether it's from a slot, McCaffrey running an angle route out of the backfield. If he's matched up against the linebacker in those moments, he's going to win those most of the time in one on one. He's going to have really good separation on it, which makes it an easier window for the throwing back, for the quarterback to hit. And I'm thinking back to when the Cowboys first traded for Amari Cooper, right? One of the struggles that Dak Prescott had years ago was ball placement. Now you get a guy that can separate. So, you know, two yards of separation becomes four yards of separation. Suddenly those throw-in lanes are bigger, and the precise ball placement doesn't matter as much because you've got more separation from the guy you're throwing to. So it's an easier, if it's not thrown to the right hip or the right shoulder, it's still going to be caught because there's more separation. That's what McCaffrey can help deliver, thanks to some of the mismatches that you know Kyle Shanahan is going to create, especially when Debo Samuel is back. And that's why this is going to have this huge effect on the Niners' offense.
0: Uh, talking to Mark Schofield, QB analyst and uh, writer at SB Nation, as we talk to him every Tuesday here on the People's Show. Uh, I want to get uh, the, the you know spend a couple of minutes here talking about the 2021 draft class, and it feels like perceptions are starting to shift negatively on a lot of these guys. And I want to start with Trevor Lawrence because I think it's okay to say maybe he's not generational, but when we apply that comment, it's like well he's a bust because he's clearly a a, a, a top. You 15-14 know, quarterback but are, are we going to see the ceiling that we thought we were going to see with him coming out of Clemson because I, I, I'll watch some games and like the the difficult stuff it, it's like yeah okay that, like, that looks awesome and then sometimes there's just a pass that's like way off that's simple and I I, I don't know what it looks like to, to you but it, it just feels like he's trying to do too much and I don't know if that's a Trevor Lawrence problem I don't know if that's a, J- a Jaguars problem where do you look at what's happening with uh, the former first overall pick?
2: Yeah, I mean, like you said, first off, it seems like it's time to sort of hit the panic button on all these quarterbacks from that Mm -hmm. point, right? Like, it seems like they're all sorts of, you know, they're all struggling right now. And we're wondering how they're going to sort of figure it out. Um, With Lawrence, one of the things that sort of stands out to me watching him, Vic, is it seems like, you know, in the open field, you know, between the 20s, he's been really good. You know, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. I think numbers that might be up there would say, you know, top 10 quarterbacks in the league. But then in the red zone, three interceptions this year in the red zone, which is never good. His completion percentage in the red zone this year, 43.9. He's averaging 2.7 yards per attempt when he's in the red zone. That's not good. And whenever I study quarterbacks, when they're coming out of the draft, and we've talked about this for years, I remember talking about it with the Patrick Mahomes class, third downs, fourth quarters, red zone, right? Like those are the sort of muddy moments as a quarterback where you need to deliver. And right now, Trevor Lawrence is sort of struggling in the red zone. And so that's an area where I think he needs to clean up. And it's an area where you sometimes see younger quarterbacks struggle because everything has to happen faster down in the red zone, right? Because the field's a bit more compressed. You know, you've got that end line to deal with, which becomes sort of a de facto extra defender, you know, even the sidelines come into effect as well. And so, that's an area where he has to get better down in the red zone. And if he does that, you know, everything else is pretty good. I mean, you look at him in the open field, sort of, you know, the, you know, the 50 to the 20, when you're going into the red zone, you know, one touchdown, no interception, 66.2% completion percentage, one touchdown, no, no interception, like I said, like, that's where he's good. It's just when they get down into the red zone, when things have to happen, even that half second faster, that's what's not clicking right now. I think they can do some things schematically, I think they can do some things. You know, Christian Kirk, getting him involved more down in the red zone, perhaps getting something consistent out of tight end, which is tight end down in the red zone is a huge weapon. If you could get Ingram involved a little bit more, that would be helpful. But that's what I'm looking for right now for Trevor Lawrence. And it comes down to when everything has to be that much faster down in the red zone, that's where he needs to get better.
0: Uh, what about Mac Jones uh, uh, on uh, Sunday? Now, I'll chalk some of it up to, hey, you're dealing with an injury, coming back and all that sort of stuff, but bailed out by a roughing the passer call on a pick six, and it, it just looked uneasy for him.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's looked un- uneasy basically most of this year. I mean, I think with Mac, two-plus quarters against Baltimore, the first you know half plus the first half of the third quarter against Baltimore, he looked really good. And then it sort of fell apart. He had three interceptions and got hurt on the final play. Um, Like you said, sort of bailed out on that pick six situation where it seemed like he wasn't on the same page. And you start to wonder, you know, the offensive change, the new offensive emphasis outside zone, wide zone that they were going through in training camp that they've, admittedly, they've moved away from. And credit to the Patriots and the coaching staff for doing that because they realized, look, this isn't working. It's not the best fit for our personnel. It's not giving us the edge that we thought we were going to get when we moved to this emphasis. So we've gotten away from that more under center stuff, inside zone, gap power stuff in the run game, and then obviously the play action designs off of that. But all that sort of offensive upheaval, we all were saying it at the time, right? Whether it works, whether it doesn't, this seems like it's something that could sort of slow the development for the quarterback because when you have a second-year quarterback, You know, whatever you want to say about New England last year and their run to the playoffs, it was a successful year in terms of getting your rookie quarterback into the offense, let them take over as the starter, winning games with them. It looked like, all right, they were set up to make a run. Now suddenly you've got new play caller, new emphasis on offense schematically during training camp. And then you're going to move away from that because it's not working. That's a lot of upheaval. It's not conducive to quarterback development. So it might have sort of set them back a little bit with respect to Matt Jones. I think he'll get through it. I think he'll get better. He's obviously coming back off of the injury as well, but it might take a little bit more time than we
0: expected. Uh, we don't have to talk about Trey Lance because we know he's out. But Zach Wilson and Justin Fields, uh, from I guess where we were preseason, uh, there was a lot of excitement uh, about Zach Wilson, and suddenly that's you know he's bailing out of pockets really early. It's, it, it's all the fears that I had about him, and then Justin Fields, it, it, it's taken some time. There's a stretch there. I was like, all right, I guess I'm out. Uh, why has it worked recently with with Justin Fields?
2: Yeah, you know, I think part of it is they really took that mid bye week after the game to Washington, and, you know, as all the reporters indicated, they really sort of leaned into, okay, let's look around the league. They looked at Baltimore. They looked at how the Ravens are using, you know, Lamar Jackson both in the run game and in the passing game, and realized, you know, we have to sort of do things like that for Justin Fields to get the most out of him. And, again, you wonder, okay, well, here we are. It's almost November, and you're doing this now. Why weren't you doing this before? So – You know, the idea that you'll always do the things you can schematically and roster construction-wise to build around your quarterback, whether he's an MVP like Aaron Rodgers or a second-year guy like Justin Fields. You should have been doing this to begin with. And so it's great that they're doing it now. You wish you would have seen it before. But then you start to see, like we saw against Dallas, the game's slowing down for him a little bit in the passing game, right? Like you're starting to see, you know, more of those anticipation throws. You're starting to see him – Sort of trusting himself downfield. And I remember when I looked at him a couple of weeks ago, it was, oh, he's not trusting himself. He's not trusting his arm. He's not trusting, you know, the guys around him. He's not trusting his receivers. You're seeing that trust now. You're seeing them get the ball out on time, in rhythm, making some aggressive decisions in the passing game, but aggressive decisions that are appropriate decisions that you want to see a quarterback make in that moment. And so you have the run game elements using him as an athlete, then you're seeing that start to open up some stuff in the passing game. You start to see him trust himself a little bit more in the passing game. The touchdowns in the to keel, Harry, beautiful design, where you've got that sort of slot fade concept to the left side, but Harry's at the three, that inside trips receiver. You get him in a zero blitz. There's no safety help. Confident read, confident decision, great throw, great catch. You know, they run this sort of under center play action where you show them the post over, but then Moody like breaks back to the outside. Beautiful design. Fields has a collapsing pocket around him, but now he trusts himself that, oh, I, can get, I don't have to bail from this. I can hang in there and make that throw. You're seeing him start to trust in what's around him. I think that's ultimately in addition to the, you know, the stuff they've done schematically the past weeks or so. The trust in himself and those around him has been huge for him these past few weeks.
0: Uh, we, let, we, we leave you with uh, this question every week. Uh, I feel like it might be P.J. Walker, but let's get to it. Uh, the throw of Week 8.
2: It was the most improbable throw since next-gen. It was the longest throw since next-gen yeah. Chardon passes. That P.J. Walker, Hail Mary. And, look, you know, Josh Allen's touchdown to Stephon Diggs, the sort of short-arm throw under pressure to the right side of the field. Very impressive. But when you make a throw like P.J. Walker did, they needed a miracle in that moment. And P.J. Walker gave them one with that Hail Mary to D.J. Moore. Mm-hmm. Just an incredible throw. And, again, moving to his left then resetting the feet, flipping the feet and the hips to make that throw like 69.2 yards or something insane. Just an incredible throw from P.J. Walker.
0: Yeah, it was one of those little Hail Marys, not just like throw it to an area. Like He he was like, no, hey, was like, no, go, go get this one. This guy. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, He's throwing to D.J. Moore. This isn't, hey, all four of you guys just go run to the yeah. right corner of the end door and just we'll knock the ball around. That's who he was throwing to. I mean, we give it the Hail Mary tag because, you know, you need a miracle to enter the game, but – That's where he was going with the ball, which makes it even that much more impressive.
0: Mark, we appreciate it as always. We'll talk next week. Sounds great, my friend. Have a great day. Mark Schofield from SB Nation, at Mark Schofield on Twitter. We'll get to uh, guess the lines in just a second. HSBC Canada 7s is all in and returns to BC Place March 3rd and 5th, uh, the best weekend of the year. Just got bigger, better, fancier. Women's and men's squads have joined forces for one massive tournament with 28 teams from all over the world. Fancy dress in the stands is the ultimate tradition. Go all in for 7s. Go all in for rugby. Tickets go on sale Tuesday, November 8th at 10 a.m. Visit Canada 7s. Dot com. All right, I uh, cocoon myself from the picks. Uh, went six and zero last week in Bix and six in Bix six. Uh, will we uh, extract some more value from guest lines? It's time for the people's picks, brought to you by Play Now Sports. Every game will feel like the big game when you bet with Play Now Sports. Brought to you by BCLC. Dom, hit me up with some games here. Love that tune. Okay, first, Finns at Bears. Dolphins at Bears. Miami Dolphins, who uh, suddenly look really good. Uh, two are back and throwing it all over the place. So they're at Chicago, make some trades here. Uh, let's go four and a half. Dolphins are favored. So close. Bears plus five. Oh, okay. You were close. You were close. Next on the docket, Seahawks at Cardinals. Seahawks continue to look good. Cardinals, another first half dismissal and they come strong second half uh, divisional game so it won't be the full three on the road so I'll go minus two and a half Seahawks oh, so close again Seahawks plus two Seahawks plus two? Plus two. Oh sorry you went minus two? Yeah no. Sorry the Seahawks are the underdogs? Seahawks are the underdogs at play now I'll tell you right now, that's going to be number one pick on Big 6. Hang on. Okay, go ahead. Just I'm writing that one down. Next up, Ravens at Saints. Ravens at Saints. Uh, Saints look sneakily, look good under Andy Dalton. Big win for them. Uh, Ravens, uh, that's the Monday Night Football game, isn't it? Uh, I yes. So. yes. Uh, let's go Ravens, three points. I'll give them the full three points. Man, you're not on a good roll right now. Saints plus two and a half. Yeah, no, that's how's that that half a point out. Saints. Uh, oh, so- think Ravens minus... Sorry, three. yeah, you're right, you're right. Uh, e- well, you still haven't gotten one correct. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Eagles at Texans. This is... Uh, yeah. Eagles, Eagles look at- unstoppable. Yeah. Just trouncing teams right now. And the Texans are the Texans. They got drama. They couldn't move uh, Brandon Cooks today. I'll go double digits here. I say the Eagles are favored by 11 and a half. Man. You got to get one today. Uh, Texas plus 14. Well, two touchdowns. touchdowns. I mean, look, I gave him yeah, perhaps too much respect. <laughs> one more? Okay, last one. Bills at Jets. Bills at Jets. Oh, your Jets. Yeah. Uh, let's just go. Well, the, the, the Bills were 11 and a half versus the Packers at home. They're on the road here. Are they going to be double digit? Yeah, let's go 13 points. You yeah, got one right. That's massive. Okay, you saved yourself at the saved end. I saved myself there. at the end. Uh, but all right, Seahawks. I'm looking forward to that one then. Uh, that, that might be the number one pick on Big six, which went six and zero by the way last week. Let's see what it do as uh this uh Friday as well. All right, we gotta go. It's Canucks game day. Dan Riccio sat your show on the way with Canucks Central here on the home of the Canucks Sportsnet six fifty.